welcome to my show, Searching for Integrity. My name really is John Smith, and I'm searching for people with integrity. Why? Because our country suffers from IDD, Integrity Deficit Disorder. We have today a doctor that set the baby numbers in North Dakota, or was it at this all of the, all, all, <laughs> I was thinking it would all be the state affair, that's what I said, nevertheless, and we're going to have you as our guest today, his name is Dr. Alan Lindemann, and uh, I've been through his um, material that he's got and it's superior. It is superior. Whoever's helped you with that, that that's a good good job. Thank you, John. Thank you. Um well let me get started. Um we're going to probably give you the lead on this and I'll I'll ask some questions along the way. Um have you always practiced in North Dakota? Well, I started in Minneapolis and St. Paul. I had my residency at Regions Hospital, which is a University of Minnesota affiliated hospital. Right. And I also had one year of medical school there. So I lived in St. Paul and Minneapolis for five years, and that's where I started my obstetric career. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and what was the, I guess that's a, it's probably a lot. Do you get chills on you when that baby pops out? You know, it, it has never stopped being a miracle. Yeah. It's always been fun. And, uh, you know, there are times when, especially during labor, when your moms and dads think maybe they can't do it, but if you know who that person is, you can reach into their psyche for strength and for the calm that's needed to complete that job. And that is a really emotional, uh, actually religious experience that uh, there's really nothing um, more moving or meaningful than that. Oh, I can see that. Uh... That's uh, that's obvious uh, to me. Jeez, uh, obvious. Ob. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, we got a book we're going to talk about today, and maybe others. The pregnancy your way. That's correct. That's the that's the main title, and it's a choose a safe and happy birth and we'll just i'll just put it up here so everybody that's can good. see it this sure. is the first in book we've had that's why it's got that gray line across there yeah. i guess you can see it better now anyway um yes it was a a complicated book to write because there we had two problems one was you know the book that we wanted to write because of the message that it was important to bring but the other one was what we needed to write in order to 
make it appealing to the audience or at least tolerable. So, you know, this book is designed to bridge the gap between where we are now in pregnancy and where we would like to be. Now, for example, we are the only nation in the world with an increasing maternal mortality rate. Uh, we have in the year of 2021, if our all our average rate, it's based on uh, number of live births per 100,000. So it went up to about 30. If you're looking at Native Americans and Native Alaskans, it went up to about 40. And if you're looking at women of color, it went up to 69.9 per 100,000. And that's from about 45. So we're going rapidly in the wrong direction. To put that into perspective, if you look at countries like Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Japan, you're looking at a maternal mortality rate of about two per 100,000. So that raises the question, what are we doing differently from what they're doing in the Scandinavian countries and in Japan? So I think what we're doing is access. In other words, we have people here in this country who can't afford healthcare. So rather than going to their prenatal visits, they're busy working. Uh, they don't have time to go and they don't have time to get their blood pressure checked. They don't have time to form a relationship with a doctor. So that's one of the problems we have with access. But we also have all of our payers are inclined or they desire to control the cost of healthcare by denying access. So your uh, OB visits are limited. The amount of tests you can order are limited. The amount of ultrasounds are limited. So we do limit healthcare and we do limit access. And I think that's the difference between a maternal, maternal mortality rate of 69.9 per 100,000 versus two per 100,000. Those places have access and it's unlimited and it's for an entire year. Well, that's amazing statistic. Uh, is there one or two situations you found that it might uh, set things to get in, in your way? Uh, whether they be... Go ahead. You know, yes. Um, if you look at how, how this develops, if we look at who dies as a result of childbirth, our most rapidly growing group and our number one group is a group that shouldn't exist at all. And it is what we call behavioral health. And that is suicides, homicides, and right. drug overdose. When right. I was busy 20, 30, and 40 years ago, we didn't have those things. But if you look at, if you dig down in that group, it's the, the Caucasian moms who are highly educated who suicide, and you wonder, well, why? Why are they doing that? Well, I think even women who don't have children who are highly educated seem to understand that the problem is life is very different after the birth of the child. And the thing that 
you need to do that it requires adjustment in other words you have to say to yourself my life is never going to be the same but it's going to be better and that is the that's a hallmark of a successful postpartum birth but if you lament the fact that that life you, you knew is gone then you run into trouble so that's that group and if you look at the homicide group that is um usually it's 60 percent um weapons firearms and the largest group there is drug overdose and that's about 50 percent of that group so that's where they come from um, most people are turned off by listening to these statistics so if you think your audience is getting turned off by this we can change the topic but i can talk about these things for a long time well, it sounds like it um do you have the uh, uh let's look in times of um a class like the class of 20 in the class of 10 in the class of double o are any of these as time goes by that you can tell that people are more interested in finding out their own education and what's going to happen well you know it's hard to say i think that right now there seems to be a tremendous outcry uh for the problems we're having in healthcare in general. For example, we have the most expensive healthcare on the planet, but obstetrics isn't the only proud isn't the only area that's struggling. So I think that all of a sudden we have people who have recognized the problem, but they don't know at all what to do about it. But I think until this time, the American public has pretty much been indifferent. Uh, to what's happening because if you look at most moms you know if you still even take the average mom and this is it, it's this is a reasonable thing because 90 percent of moms have no trouble with pregnancy and no trouble with delivery they have they go home they have healthy happy babies so they don't want to hear about this other stuff so it, it's hard to educate that's one of the problems we had in our book because we're trying to steer moms away from the bad outcomes in the book but not make it so heavy that they don't want to read it so yes i think that we now all of a sudden have an interest in having better outcomes for our families for our patients for what happens to moms and dads and babies when they go home that sounds like a, a tightrope in a sense it is and it's the tightrope that we had to, to decide to uh, walk for our book like i said i didn't want to turn off people because most moms like i said most of the dads won't have trouble but you know, if you look at these moms who and dads who do have trouble, they are mm -hmm. really the canary in the coal mine, and they yeah. are rather insensitive canary at that. In other words, and this is according to the CDC, for every death, you have 20 to 30 near deaths. 
And of course, the CDC doesn't define what a near death is. But I'd be willing to bet that for every one of those near deaths, you have some other kind of problem uh, in which we can right. talk about if you want to. And if you want to do something else, we can do that too. Well, if it's important, maybe we could take a short run at it. Okay, let's do that. I have, I want to talk a little bit about somebody who we wouldn't expect to have trouble postpartum. And this lady was on um, NPR, so, and I haven't seen her, so she's not my patient. And her, she's already public, so I'm not breaking any medical rules or laws of privacy. Name is Lindsay. She's an OB nurse, 32 years old. She had three children, a girl five, a girl three, and a boy seven months. She knew she was in some kind of trouble and began seeking medical care in October. She went October, November, December, and January. She admitted herself to the hospital twice. She had seen several psychiatrists and been on 12 different medications for depression. The last time she hospitalized herself was January 5th. And on January 21st, she strangled all three of her children and jumped out the roof of her house in order to commit suicide. Well, she didn't commit suicide. Now, there's all kinds of problems with this because she should, she asked for care and she didn't get it. And she had what we call a postpartum psychosis, which is a very dangerous condition. She'd actually heard voices telling her to kill her children. And she told people about this. So everybody who heard that is kind of responsible for the outcome because she was asking for help. So now, you know, rather than help, we're busy prosecuting her, which is all backwards. But this is the thing that I, one of the reasons we wrote the book, because if you look at our mission, our first mission, it's to promote pregnancy-related health, mm -hmm. wellness for moms, dads, mm -hmm. and babies. And that actually can be done. And that's kind of the good news portion of our book. That is, you know, we can take a complicated, potentially complicated situation, but if we see that person every time, and one of the things I've always done, I see moms, dads, and the children. So I get to know who is involved and I get to know their context. I get to know their weaknesses and their strengths. And I can work with that to help them have a better postpartum. Another thing that used to help, you know, when I was a resident and, you know, 20, even 20 years ago, we could keep moms and babies in the hospital after they delivered for as many days as we needed to. The question we always had in the morning was, is this patient ready to go home? Is the baby ready to go home? Is the milk in? Does the baby know how to eat? Can the baby latch on? Does the mother know how to get the baby to latch on? So all these questions were answered before the moms and dads and babies went home. 
So we didn't see a lot of what we now call failure to thrive. But if you look at babies who are diagnosed with failure to thrive and come in six months later, the babies that are C-section babies come in half as often as the babies who are vaginal births. And I think the reason for that is that the C-section moms stay longer in the hospital and they're more ready to go home. It's a simple thing, but it's one of the things that insurance companies just trashed. Really? It was part, part of healthcare that was important. They didn't understand it and they just trashed it. And this is not just any insurance company, it's every insurance company. It includes our federal government, CMS, you know, Medicaid, Medicare, whatever they're on, right. they get sent home before they're ready to go. And that's another thing. So we're trying to, we have some stories in the book about how do you do a good postpartum? And that needs to be established before moms and dads go home. Little right. things like who's going to do the dishes? Who's going to clean the bathroom? Who's going to wash the floor? Who's going to clean the breast pump? All of those things need to be decided. You don't need a dad who goes out and gets a 12 pack of beer and plays video games. You know, they need to be participating in the program. Right, right. Well, there's a lot of uh, education involved in terms of what you just described for the husband. Uh, you know, they, they, need to, they need to work. Absolutely. And that's one of the reasons I always had my husbands were they were always welcome and as a matter of fact i really wanted them to come in and they were told that i wanted them to come in so yeah husbands can be really helpful postpartum and i think if lindsay's husband had been a little bit more tuned in the outcome would have been much different i'm not blaming husbands i'm blaming a system that doesn't educate husbands Right, right, and that's serious. Um, yeah, very much so. Very much. What uh, what type of um, okay? They say got a man, got a woman, maybe other children. Uh, what do they do beginning in the in the beginning postpartum? You mean how what how should they behave? What's a good yes. getting of a good outcome? Yes. Well, I think it would be wonderful if we could have a nice maternity leave for every mom, you know, right. at least three months. And in most countries, dads have paternity leave. So that's the beginning. The next step would be that say for example, um, you know, mom needs to sleep sometime. And because if you don't sleep, you get crazy. But so somebody needs to figure out, well, how is this feeding gonna work? Because sometimes when you get a new baby home, they wanna eat every three hours. Sometimes if they're really little, they wanna eat every two hours. And if you're lucky, they'll eat every four hours. But I would recommend, if possible, for dad to take at least one nighttime feeding and one of the daytime feedings. 
Now, I know a lot of people don't like that idea because uh, there, you know, you've got the, the Laleche League, the Milk League, who says, oh, if you um, bottle feed, that'll wreck your breastfeeding. I've never found that to be true. As a matter of fact, what I have found to be true is that babies must eat. And, right. you know, they should gain a couple ounces a day. You know, a, a nice, a good rule of thumb is very simple. At six months, they should be twice their birth weight. At a year, they should be three times their birth weight. So, you know, a couple ounces a day. Is baby scales used to be popular. Today, I think they're probably less popular, but still, the idea is that you need to know how much your child is eating. A good thumb, a thumbnail uh, description would be um, if the baby cries, they get fed, they go to sleep, they sleep for a few hours, they wake up again and they eat. That's probably an indication that baby is getting enough food. And of course, you know, babies are kind of fat. They should have a fat face and a little fat belly, um, a little fat on their hands and some on their feet. But I think what I'd like to see is a nurse come to the house every day to see how moms work. Now, if you look at the studies that talk about those things, the studies say, oh, moms don't like that. Well, I think you have to look at how it's done. In other words, if you come in there with your pencil and your paper and you or your computer and you have a bunch of buttons you have to click and you're not paying attention to the mother, you're not really understanding what is working, what isn't working, how the mother feels, how the father feels, you know, if you're going to try to fill all those blanks in, you're not listening. And that's what people pick up on is if somebody comes into the house, they pretend to be listening, but they're not. And people pick up on that. I think if you had somebody come into the house and actually listened and actually mm -hmm. gave advice, you know, mm -hmm. like you can't be feeding this baby every two hours through the night and you can't get mm -hmm. up at five o'clock to do your, um, whatever you meditation you know uh, you need to sleep you know you need to have some kind of sense in your life some kind of ordinary things so i think that would be a good idea to help moms and dads be on the right track you know mm -hmm. there are dads who think that you know i'm not going to fix supper i'm not going to fix dinner i'm not going to fix breakfast that's Doesn't not work. a good idea you know you're in this together you started it together you're in mm -hmm. it together for the long haul. And so people need to understand that and work together. You know, my first uh, marriage, um, I had twins, twin sons, identical. By the way, Mac also has twin daughters. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, they didn't come home for like three months. They wouldn't let us have them. And that was uh, because they were weighed, what, 310 and four ounces. You know, so combined would be a healthy baby, one baby. Yep. And, and instead, you got the, you know, we can't hug them. We can't touch them. It's just like, you know, uh, 
very, very frustrating, but you have to wait, you have to wait. You know, today, I think things are a little bit easier. I mean, we recognize the need to touch that moms and dads need to actually feel the baby and that the baby actually need the babies need to feel moms and dads touch. Uh, they'll recognize your voice. As a matter of fact, I think some of the, I've had many moms say, oh, the baby recognizes your voice. And I think it was from the prenatal visits. You know, they could hear through mm -hmm. the mother's abdomen. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, parental touch is really important. And yeah, twins mm -hmm. is kind of a hard way to start out, especially when they're little and they probably, you're talking about babies that want to eat every two hours and you got two of them yeah <laughs> that's not funny i'm laughing but that's not funny <laughs> no it isn't i do have another little story i had one patient who had quads and oh, so you know, just imagine four little babies well they eventually came home two one and one like that and um uh, dad was pretty much the the caretaker he said as a matter of fact we did a video of the family when the, the all four of the children got to be 21 and we went to see them did a video so we do have a free video on our website about that but dad said he changed seven thousand diapers a month oh <laughs> so that's heroic <laughs> yeah. whoa that is heroic um by the way we just added another grandchild to the to the family uh eight eight weeks ago well congratulations how many do you have well one at this time one uh it was the one of my that daughter uh she has three kids now and um they i don't know why she wanted to have a third one i don't know we don't talk, just discuss these things with her because she rules, okay? Yeah, I know. No, <laughs> I, I have four grandchildren. I'd like to have more, but I can tell you that that is not a conversation I have with my children. Right, right. <laughs> it's well, my business. twins, yeah, my twins each delivered uh, uh, a son and a daughter, and both, both the twins. I thought, well, they, do everything, they always do everything alike. So that's one of the things as well. Uh, let me uh, let me ask you something else. And we talked about this earlier, is that uh, people that need to find your book and want to find your book, where do you, where do you steer them to? Where do you, where do you well, point them? It's Amazon and mm -hmm. it's Pregnancy Your Way Lindemann. And it has to have the Lindemann on it or you'll get about 20 other pregnancies your way so it's pregnancy your way lindemann at amazon okay that's probably the best way to, to get it done and if they send you the, the wrong book you can always send it back to amazon yeah? yes <laughs> now last question over your left shoulder you've got a modern medicine book there a little that bit about it Yes, thank you for asking. You know, um, my this is how my wife and I met. We had, we did this book uh, starting in 1990, and uh, it was designed 
to warn or to tell consumers about the um, problems that we saw with medical care. For example, the problems of um, denied access, um, the when you start emphasizing money over patients, profit over patients, uh, the kinds of uh, sour outcomes you get when you do those things. So this is kind of a call, but of course, the book was ahead of its time. We didn't sell more than about 2,000 of them uh, because at the time, you could buy an insurance policy for $300 a month. Of course, now it's more like 3,000. People pay more for health insurance than they pay for their house payment. So um, we saw this coming, right. <laughs> but it didn't do any good to write the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I want to thank you to come in here, Dr. Allen. It's been quite a quite a quite a thirty minutes. It's uh, every every bit of it. It is. There's so much that you have, and uh, I keep thinking about. 6,000 in the state fair, you know, it's just. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, uh, it's been fun and thank you. Well, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm grateful that you had the time for it. And uh, we did turn it out there coming down the stretch. We can. And uh, well, it's always good. I do appreciate it so much. And thank you for the invitation. It's been fun. It has been. I want to thank my listeners uh, that tuned in and uh, hopefully the ones that are, that came in and, and listened, um, they're going to make use of that. Um, searching for integrity is also something for people to tune into and to say goodbye. It's a different way. And you'll know about this. So long and happy trails to all until we meet again.